There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Hello, Voice America listeners, and welcome. You're listening to Next Steps Forward, and I'm your host, Chris Meek. Our focus is personal empowerment, commitment to well-being, and the motivation to achieve more than ever thought possible. I'll host leaders from the worlds of business, philanthropy, sports, entertainment, politics, and public policy on the show to talk about the ingredients for a better life for every American. Thank you all for joining us today. And um, I've really been looking forward to the show for, for a couple of weeks now uh, since we got commitments from our guests. Um, two very special guests, two people who I've uh, been privileged not enough to call uh, close friends now over the last year or so. And so uh, just honored to have them both here. Uh, our first guest is Dr. Skip Rizzo. Uh, Dr. Rizzo is the Director of Medical Virtual Reality at the University of Southern California's Institute for Creative Technologies. He serves as a research professor at the USC Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences and the USC Davis School of Gerontology. Rizzo's research focuses on the development and use of virtual reality systems to assess and treat post-traumatic stress. He created the Brave Mind Virtual Reality Exposure Therapy Program used to treat post-traumatic stress in veterans. The Brave Mind Program creates worlds of combat scenarios which place veterans back within their memories of combat to work through their post-traumatic stress. The Brave Mind technology has been donated to 14 VA hospitals and medical facilities across the country to the nonprofit Soldier Strong's Strong Mind program. For his work, Rizzo received the American Psychological Association's 2010 Award for Outstanding Contributions to the Treatment of Trauma. Dr. Rizzo, thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And our second guest, um, and there's a couple of Chris's here today, so we'll have to make sure, you know, two Chris M's, I guess. Uh, Chris Merkel. After dedicating 14 years of his life to the U.S. Marines, Chris Merkel has become an advocate for veterans and dedicates countless hours to volunteering for veteran organizations, particularly veteran surf camps with Team Red, White, and Blue. Merkel has made it a point to reduce the stigma surrounding mental health by openly sharing his own struggle with post-traumatic stress and how the Brave Mind Virtual Reality Exposure Therapy technology used to treat post-traumatic stress positively impacted his life. Merkel is an employee of the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Readjustment Counseling Services and is the co-founder and executive director of the Aging American Project. He is currently working to earn his doctoral degree in clinical psychology to personally provide mental health care to other veterans. Chris, thanks for being here as well. Hey, good morning, Chris. How are you doing? Um, so, gentlemen, it's kind of you know, a strange world in terms of how we get connected and how we come across each other. Um, and I can maybe share a little bit of backstory later on about how I came across Dr. Rizzo. Um, but Skip, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your work uh, as a director of medical virtual reality uh, at ICT. Yeah, well, we have a laboratory that's been around since the very early days of virtual reality back in 1995 when we started that was exclusively focused on applying this type of technology, the simulation technology, if you will, for clinical purposes, for mental health, for rehabilitation, for medical training. So over the last 25 years, we've developed a, a series of applications and actually conduct clinical trials with these applications using VR, um, you know, for treating PTSD or helping people on the autism spectrum become more socially capable or producing game-based physical therapy applications. Um, so, you know, we've tried to really 
develop systems that leverage the power of immersive and interactive technology like virtual reality uh, to amplify and extend what we already know works pretty well in clinical practice, but to do it better and do it more consistently and so forth. So that's my passion. Every morning I wake up and I look forward to going to work, which now involves going to my home office. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a mix of science and art and mental health, uh, that, uh, you know, best job in the world. Oh, thanks for sharing that. And maybe you can share a little bit with our listeners uh, in terms of what got you interested in behavioral sciences and what was your journey like to, to lead you to, you know, getting your PhD and now into the virtual reality space? Well, you know, I'm an old guy, child of the 60s. And, uh, you know, back in those days when I first went to college in 1972, uh, it was during a time when there was a lot of soul searching and trying to understand who you were and everything. So, my first class in college was a psychology class. And at that point, I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. But, you know, first first day, first class, uh, you know, it just it was just a fit. And I said, you know, I think I want to be a psychologist. Of course, my family thought I was nuts, you know, uh, which I might have been. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I followed that path and along the way learned that, um, being a good psychologist isn't just simply the desire to want to help people that you have to be able to do good science along the way and develop evidence-based approaches for doing that work. So, you know, after doing a direct clinical training and practice uh, uh, up until 1995, I primarily worked in brain injury rehabilitation. Um, I, you know, at that point uh, there was just too many, weaknesses in the types of tools that we had available to, to really make a difference for folks, particularly with brain injuries. Uh, and I, I stumbled onto the technology and it uh, was one of those great moments where, you know, you, you don't, you know, it's sort of like if you want to make God laugh, tell your plans. Well, I didn't have that plan and uh, it just ha emerged and happened. And I just followed the passion even though back in, in the mid-90s, virtual reality was still very immature technologically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was just kind of viewed as a failed technology uh, around 95, 96, after the first big hype cycle for the technology, uh, where people got great expectations about it. But when they first tried VR with a clunky headset and limited graphics, you know, it was like, is that all there is? But the vision for using simulation technology just as an aircraft simulator test and trains piloting ability under a range of controllable conditions uh, that vision applies for vr for testing training treating teaching people things in those same kinds of simulations and eventually the, the technology uh, fortunately caught up with the vision in the last 10 years and now we can do some really impressive stuff using vr and applying it not just for games, but for uh, clinical applications to make a difference for people. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. Um, Chris, maybe you give us some background about your experience in the military and how that experience you know, has affected your mental health. Uh, so I was a uh, Marine infantryman. So we're the guys on the ground, um, just going there, clearing out the things the smart bombs can't get to in those little corners and holding space and occupying and kind of pushing out that level of, um, Hey, here we are. This is our ground. This is what we're doing. And, you know, big policy picture, everything else like that. So we're the guys on the ground doing that. And that takes up close personal work. 
uh, over many deployments and seeing and doing many things, which I'm fine with. That's part of my job. But eventually, you know, as Dr. Dr. Rizzo could tell you, you know, the mind's very powerful. So it takes those little snapshots and it remembers everything about the smell, the sights, the sounds. And as soon as those sights, any, any one of those things come up, the brain automatically goes right back to that file and says, oh, I remember this smell. I remember this feeling. This is what it is. And it floods all those protective factors. And so we've all heard of fight, flight, or freeze. And so unfortunately, a lot of times when scenarios or situations in a general normal life, a public life, I don't think there's such a thing as a normal, but you know, something reminds us of that. For some people, it kind of brings back that memory and that our powerful brain goes right back to that and goes, this looks like, sounds like, smells like that thing that was kind of scary that we either fought through or ran away from. So I need to go back in that mode. And it could be really debilitating for our transitioning veterans, you know, the GI Bill has been great, you know, since World War II. It's gotten a lot of people through uh, and it moved on to great careers and, you know, helping take them back over the world in a different sense, you know, financially and scholastically. So it's been a godsend for us to have the GI Bill and do different things like that. But if your mind isn't present in the moment, you're not going to be learning those things. And even if you're not getting enough sleep, once again, defaulting back to Dr. Rizzo, it's like, you know, if you're in class, you're studying everything, but if your mind is not there at nighttime, you're not getting the sleep you need. You're not going to be processing that information you learned during the day. So you're pretty much burning up your day, burning up your time. You're not being productive. And at the end of the day, you're not going to graduate or have be a productive member of society. And that leads towards our, some of the problem with our homelessness, homelessness with veterans and our high suicide rate, unfortunately. You know, you talk about sleep being important and, you know, I've learned a lot about mental health uh, and starting to work with, with you and, and, and Skip over the last year and change, uh, but also obviously going through COVID-19 right now. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I kept coming across as I was doing more and more research in terms of, you know, how to fight stress, how to fight the anxiety that we're facing in today's crazy kind of world, what was sleep and sleep deprivation. And I can imagine being somebody who was in the fight and something or some things happened while they were in the fight and then you come home, you're in bed at night, maybe you're not sleeping, maybe you are, say it's two o'clock in the morning and a car alarm goes off or a big garbage trunk truck hits a pothole and there's a big bang sound. I was with a veteran last fall who that's exactly what happened. Um, I think a light bulb kind of popped outside of his garage and, and blew up and he immediately jumped under his bed, grabbed his gun and started crawling around his house. You know, he's in rural North Carolina and he's having a flashback to being back you know, in, in the fight. And so... Um, Thank you for your service uh, on that. Okay. And, you know, it's just amazing in terms of how something as simple as getting a little extra sleep or being able to sleep in, in, the, in many instances is really the game changer for, for a lot of these veterans. So uh, thanks for sharing that background. Yeah. You know, Chris, do you think there are any aspects uh, of the military that can be made better as far as preserving uh, the mental health of our service members? Oh, I think with anything, I mean, there's a society is a large, you know, that's a big, that's a big topic society, but mental health stigma. If you and I were to break our arm, you know, we'd post it all over social media. Hey, broke my arm skiing or doing something stupid or whatever, or just, you know, being physically fit. We physically see people out there working out. You know, I've had my, I have my COVID 10 going right now. So I look down, like I'm not physically, in I can see that. But what we don't see is that, you know, that quiet suffering that people have just, you know, COVID, you know, that's anxiety. That's what's going to happen. What is going to happen to me? That fear that's coming into our mind. And so mental health has always been discounted, you know, it's that fear of the unknown, you know, the crazy person, you know, whatever it is. And it's, and it's real because it's every single one of us, you know, one, four Americans, you know, are going to have a mental health crisis throughout their lifetime. And we all have that moment right before we go to sleep when you're worried about Bill's life, children getting to college and you have that 
kind of worried thoughts. So it's really easy for people to say, well, I don't want to go crazy. You know, that would be horrible. And we see the other end of it where it's not, it's not something that was brought on as part of dementia. It's something that, you know, that's, that's in there and that's a fear a lot of us have. So getting back to your, your question of how can the military do it? It's just raising a culture of awareness and of acceptance. We've had a lot of great top level commanders who are actually in the field downrange, uh, from the general officer level and from the, the SAR majors on down who've actually been there in the fight with us. And they're like, Hey, this is what's going on. And there's, um, a very well-known gentleman, you know, who's is a general, I think you, you met him, whose son passed away from suicide. And it's this, you, there's no social economic barrier to mm-hmm. that over becoming overwhelming. So one of the things is that culture of fit, you know, we have society as a large saying, you know, mental health is bad. There's a stigma. Then you go in the military where if you're not, you know, we have to be training. You have to be 100% accountable to go down range. And so there's kind of a stigma around being the sick bake commando or not showing up for work. So you push through, you do things, you know, the mission first, mission first, you put yourself last. We're a nation of volunteers. You know, unfortunately, there's less than 1% of Americans volunteer for service. But when we do, we want to be in the fight. We don't want to let our brothers down because there's such a strong brotherhood and sisterhood um, that we don't want to let our team down. So we don't go to sick bay. We don't report and We don't want to be that guy with a big, thick file. So we press it and we're all the team. Now, when we get out, we don't have that team anymore. And now we don't want to be seen as that wounded veteran, which is a whole nother category. Some people play to that. You know, I have, I need this thing, but most, most guys or, or girls are just like, they just want to move on with their life. They don't want to be seen as that wounded veteran. That's a really bad stigma. Um, and to one, one other way that, you know, VR could address this and I could throw it back to Dr. Rizzo is he's been doing a lot of little pre-training. So kind of like you do, we have like what's called the ISMIT in the Marine Corps. It's just kind of like a, a virtual reality type simulator kind of go through some sim- simulations where you're getting overwhelmed by an enemy that are on a virtual reality screen. And meanwhile, you're calling for fire. You're doing all the things tactically you're supposed to be doing that you can't really rehearse. So you feel that pressure, almost like a game day scrimmage because you can't go out and practice combat as you know, hard as force one-on-one. So Dr. Riz actually has some things that he does to kind of like pre-inoculate for as it were to see those images and kind of see where you're at and kind of get used to that exposure. It's obviously not going to be the real thing. And like I said, that's his piece right there. But it's, I think, just some of that training, the awareness, psych armor is another great one that people and families could go on and they could look up. What are some concerns with mental health? Let me be prepared when I'm going into the fight. Let me be a stronger person. And then luckily our society nowadays is like, maybe social media is not the best place for it, but like, hey, this is what's going on. This is how I feel. That's great. You know, and then I think that whole tough person i have to go away from saying guy that tough guy macho and it's that tough person mentality if i'm just gonna shove it down there just in that those guys don't live long you know look at those countries the longevity is there you know they have a standard diet they relax they don't let that stress build up and they talk and let it out unfortunately our way of life in america is so forward-leaning you know edge profit margin everything else that it creates the stress that we don't go we can't unrelax and we're seen as being weak if we're not Leaning forward all the time, if we lean back and we lean towards somebody else and they have that same mentality, and you don't have, and if the first time you reach out to talk to somebody, mental health wise, just a friend wise, and that door gets shut, you're going to stuff it down inside and that has to go somewhere. Yeah, and to that point, you mentioned the word stigma a couple of times in there in your remarks. And, you know, unfortunately, I can only relate to the current COVID 19 scenario not having served, but, you know, there have been several uh, studies done between New York Times, Washington Post. Um, I forget the third paper, but you know, big big newspapers where between a third and forty percent of Americans are facing anxiety right now, and those are the ones that are actually admitting it. So 
you know, Dr. Rizzo, you know, I've talked about a study out of China. I think there was 72% with had post-traumatic stress, you know, after COVID, the first wave of COVID-19 came through. And so Chris, for, you know, first of all, thanks to you for being a warrior, for being a champion, being out there and telling the story about, you know, using that word stigma and saying, look, you know, we're not, I'm not a broken veteran. I'm not a broken individual. I'm not wounded. I've just got something that I'm working through. And you might not think the same of me if you knew that I was working through this, you know, and I can understand your point about in the military, you don't want to go and admit that you've got some mental health problem because they could take your credentials away. They could take your gun away, take your, your position away. And then what are you left with? You know, it's some people call it an empty uniform for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, that's very true. You know, and talking also about stigma, and this is a, a, I won't say it's a debate, but certainly a conversation folks have been having the last couple of years, post PTSD versus PTS. You know, the D is, you know, for disorder is, was the name. And I first started thinking about this about four or five years ago. I was an event where the keynote speaker was a Medal of Honor recipient. And he had come out and saying, you know, I've got post-traumatic stress. It's not a disorder. I have PTS. And so I started thinking about that. And there's, you know, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but certainly want to be respectful and sensitive to that. You know, I'm curious about both of your thoughts in terms of, you know, the, the nomenclature, if you will, because we've been very thoughtful in terms of not using the D in the work that I do. Um, but also want to be respectful in terms of what the actual technical term is. Dr. Rizzo? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I would say that, uh, you know, in order to uh, uh, interact in a, uh, a clinical culture, you know, you always go back to the alleged Bible of mental health conditions, uh, the, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders disorders, you know, that is the term that's used. And I think part of that has been driven by psychiatry and psychology's need to, to elevate the things that they try to address to the same level that an MD might when they say, I'm dealing with a, an autoimmune disorder, or I'm dealing with cancer or whatever. Well, you know, if you call it a disorder, you're likely going to get a little bit more respect or the people will say that uh, this is a real condition that we need to address. So, you know, there, there's a reason why that term has gotten thrown into the mix. Now, when you're talking about post-traumatic stress, I think there's a, a wide spectrum here uh, where, I mean, look at, I mean, look at the, look at the demands of the job. And the same thing with police officers and firefighters and first responders. These are super high stress occupations where people are confronted with threat. They're confronted with uncertainty. They have to make decisions uh, under duress oftentimes. And, you know, that's, a, that's a, a hard thing to live day in and day out. So in some sense, uh, you know, I, I, I accept that, you know, people call it a disorder and, you know, people can call it what they want. Um, I prefer just to, to go a little bit lighter and say, look, we're dealing with your post-traumatic stress. We're dealing with the symptoms. And here's how, you know, we try to relieve those symptoms. I don't think there's a need to stigmatize people, even though in the medical and psychological professions, that's kind of the terminology that we have to use uh, when we make a diagnostic assessment, when we're getting reimbursed, uh, you know, all those kinds of issues. But you know, just, you know, person to person talking here, you know, I think anybody that comes back from war is going to have things that haunt them. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's just the nature of the experience. Uh, and it, and maybe it should, maybe the, those experiences should 
you know, stick with you. But when, when they stick with you to a point where they interfere with your everyday functioning and your ability to, you know, take the next step forward, uh, then that becomes a condition that we want to address. You know, uh, PTSD should not be viewed as a life sentence. It should be viewed as a, you know, a current challenge and adversity that the person's going through. And we have evidence-based approaches that can help people through it. And most of these evidence-based approaches that address post-traumatic stress, they're not about erasing someone's memory or making them forget what they went through. That's part of who they are. The, the difference is, is that we try to help people to confront and reprocess those memories in a way where they're not being assaulted for the rest of their life by those things. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, you can call it by a number of different names. Our goal is to help people come to terms with the things that still might bug them in a way that interferes with their everyday living um, at long after the threat has passed. And, um, you know, they'll always have difficult memories, but those memories shouldn't be a harness or a social muzzle that prevent somebody from interacting in everyday life. And that's what we try to address. Thank you for that. Well, yeah, that's a good segue. Maybe you could share with our listeners the type of research that goes into the virtual reality treatment. Well, you know, the first step is, you know, particularly with the, what we call the Brave Mind and now Strong Mind program with Soldier Strong is a series of VR simulations of different places in Iraq and Afghanistan, 14 different worlds. So the process here leverages what has already been shown to be effective um, in previous research with traditional methods where you help a person to go back to the scene of the crime at a pace they can handle and begin to confront and reprocess these difficult emotional memories, but in a safe place with the guidance of a supportive clinician. And so um, in the traditional method, you would close your eyes and the clinician would, would ask you to imagine uh, the difficult experience that you had and tell the story of it as if you're living through it right now. And, you know, that is an evidence-based approach, a trauma-focused approach. A lot of times, maybe some of your, your listeners are saying, why the hell would you do that? Why would you make someone do that? But the short answer is we, we do it because the science shows us that by doing this at a pace the patient can handle and... Um, and it, with an authentic, well-trained clinician, you do see a reduction in these symptoms and people can face their fears or their anxieties or their bad memories uh, more effectively. So with VR, instead of just relying exclusively on the hidden world of imagination, we're putting people in simulations that represent what they went through, the context, and the clinician can then operating from a pretty uh, comprehensive control panel, Wizard of Oz control panel, can change the time of day, can ignite an explosion in the distance, ignite one close by, have a helicopter fly over, have uh, insurgents pop up. And so in real time, as the patient's narrating their experience, the clinician can create this immersive virtual reality experience to go along with it. And, you know, this has been shown... Uh, be quite activating and it does uh, it meets the first criteria for good treatment and that is to activate these memories um, but in a safe place 
And then as the patient goes through it a number of times over and over, um, eventually the activation diminishes. We call this in technical terms, extinction learning. The brain is now learning that these cues, these stimuli that you're immersed within no longer pose a threat in your everyday life. And, um, and, that, and that's really how that type of therapy is conducted. Uh, the, the beauty of using VR is that we have a very controlled and systematic and very documentable way of doing the exposure. You know, it's a pretty tall order for, for somebody with PTSD to close their eyes and imagine in vivid emotional detail what they went through because that's part of the symptom package with post-traumatic stress. Avoidance. People avo try to avoid thinking about these, uh, these experiences or going to places that remind them of, um, uh, of the events. And that perpetuates when you avoid something that makes you anxious, you get a temporary sense of relief that reinforces continued avoidance. So we're trying to circumvent that avoidance and we're trying to do it at a, at a pace that the client can handle. Um, but it is hard medicine for a hard problem. But it works. That's the thing. You know, it's, PTSD is not a life sentence. You know, you may have lingering issues that go on, just like, uh, you know, say a police officer that, you know, had a very difficult situation uh, that they had to deal with. Um, you know, you, these are things that aren't going to go away. It's now just a matter of how you help a person learn to cope with those things and to not be haunted. Yeah, thank you for that. And Chris, maybe you could share with us your experience using the Brave Mind technology uh, and how it's changed your life. Uh, yeah, um, just real briefly, since we've got about two minutes, it's uh, it's yeah, it's helped me move forward. I mean, there's no way to explain it very quickly, but pretty much it was I was stuck in a rut of avoidance, like uh, Dr. Rizzo said. So just avoiding my past, proud of my past, of serving everything else, trying to move forward with my life but just kind of continually in that, that retread cycle of trying to move forward, trying to find it back, find myself contracting back down range and trying to relive that life because that's what I was comfortable with. I mean, I start, I joined when I was 17. So that's all my adult experience was. So that's what I was comfortable with, just like any profession, you know? So it's totally comfortable, but I couldn't move forward to address the problem. Literally that was anchoring me back and holding me back. And so I was treading water while I was nailed to the bottom of the sea floor and I could not, I was always struggling some days better than most, but you know, you just can't get ahead when you're just anchored down and that's what I needed to, to move forward. No, thank you. And what led you to defining skip in, in the brave mind technology? Um, I don't know. I think we talked about that after the break. It was just a, it was a long search for, it was, it was a search for help that I didn't know I needed. If that makes any sense. I nope, didn't think totally. I needed to. Yeah. I didn't think I needed to. It was like, okay, this is, yeah, something's got to change because yep. it's not, this isn't going to work. All right. So we'll pick that back up after the break, if that's all right. Yes, sir. Okay. You're listening to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek with Dr. Skip Rizzo and Marine veteran Chris Merkel. We'll be back shortly. Thanks for joining us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for coming back after the break. Uh, I'm Chris Meek, and this is Next Steps Forward. And we are very honored today to have two very special guests, two close friends, Dr. Skip Rizzo uh, and U.S. Marine veteran Chris Merkel. And right before the break, uh, I asked Chris, you know, what led him to finding Skip Rizzo to be willing to use the virtual reality software? And, and we ran out a little bit of time there before the break. So, Chris, maybe you could expand that a little bit more. Yeah, so after my deployments and contracting and kind of extending out my time in the sun, as it were, almost like an athlete, you know, trying to get that one last play, playing the senior leagues and way past my prime, um, I just pushed forward. You know, I couldn't find work during the last recession, end up in the oil field, just trying to find anything to to reinvent myself, you know, and Victor Frankl said that, you know, we need to find that meaning and purpose. I 
I had my meaning and purpose. I was, uh, I was in the Marine Corps. I was serving my nation. I was, that's what I thought I was going to do. You know, at 17, I didn't realize there's life after the service. And I, I think that's something people have to realize that you have to have a second thing. And I, and after that, I went to law enforcement, which was another goal for a lot of people. And I, you know, I went to law enforcement for a little while and just the war could call me back. So I left law enforcement, great department. I, I left them to go back to war. Um, so I did two great occupations that most people, that's their whole goal in life. So, okay. I've knocked off two big things that people want to do now. What, and then just trying to push through life, you know, and I'm a pretty, pretty happy go lucky guy, you know, right before all this stuff. And, you know, I love surfing and being out in public and being in nature and doing things like that. But I just found myself just getting more frustrated, more angry at my lack of forward progress, um, in life and relationships and just not being able to make that connection there was and that's part of the you know one of those symptoms of the ptsd is just, you don't want to get close to people you don't want to lose people you get to this nature of like i like you i'll yell at you to get you to do your job but i really don't want to know anything about you because i don't want to lose you and feel that pain of it and that translates when we come back home there's that really distancing so you don't see the pain i'm going through i don't want to know you because i don't want to feel your emotional pain because i'm dealing with what i'm going through a lot of your listeners might be experiencing that same thing where it's like you're just so caught up in your own day-to-day that you don't realize that life is passing you by. It's, you know, like if anybody that's listening doesn't have a good night's sleep, they have a rough diet, but not have a good night's sleep for 10 years where you're just, you know, you have to do those sleep studies at the VA and see what's going on, the nightmare, just that lack of REM, that's when you're recovering. So I didn't go into REM, you know, I'm waking up 15, 16 times an hour and all throughout the night, I'm just, or I'm coming out of REM, I'm waking up seven, eight times a night. So doing that for 10 years, you know, my driving started getting aggressive, you know, just coming out in different ways. Like I said, you know, it's Dr. Vanderhoek said it, you know, it finds a way, you know, it comes out of your body some way, you know, so that aggression was coming out that, you know, sharp reactivity. And in, in the military, especially deployed, if something goes off, I'm really good at contact, right? Go do our job, engage the enemy, you know, violence of action, you know, swiftness of heart, you know, and you just want to get in there and do your job. But when the lady, when the, all of a sudden the server brings a glass of water right over your shoulder and you jump at the lady giving you water, that's not, yeah, I think anybody would be kind of nervous about that. But when you're overreacting to those kind of things and, it, and your friends start kind of looking at you like it's weird or you see a taxi on the side of the road, you know, when it's blinkers on the trunk up, like, okay, that's something's going on there. And just that feeling of waiting for something to go off or happen is not very relaxing. And then that same reaction, that explosive reaction to any threat translates to relationships so any kind of time i felt threatened or pressed in or like reactive my instant reaction is to be overreactive to overwhelm my enemy well my family's not my enemy my loved ones aren't my enemy and that's not productive um went downrange or went i'm saying downrange i volunteered with team rubicon because 9-11 was the reason i went back in the military i mean that's you know that was horrible and i wanted to get back to service and so i saw team rubicon online joined them when Hurricane Sandy hit. I was like, I need to get back to, to New York and help out. You don't understand. Like, I need to get that closure with New York. And so I went back there for a month and was in the, you know, I had many, you know, I went out there and every day I'm digging up houses out in the Rockaways and living in a warehouse in Brooklyn. It was the best thing in the world for me because I was like, okay, you know, hey, you're in the military. Were you a leader? Yes. Okay, hey, take these 20 volunteers and start talking out stuff. I could do that. I know how to take charge. I know how to have meaning and purpose. And so for a month, I was wearing myself out 17 hours a day picking up, you know, snow shovels full of wet sheet rock, which you know is heavy, you know, taking out all the debris and all the damage that was on the East coast back there. And I felt, I felt like I was needed and it felt really good. And it felt like I had meaning. And I felt purpose, even though I was physically draining myself and emotionally draining myself because, you know, everything that got rolled on, it had to be thrown on the street, nice possessions, couches, you know, um, bridal albums. You know, I had a 
the one that almost broke me was, you know, finding a lady's taking the car out of her living room, her neighbor's car that crashed through her living room, picking up the, the car and then taking everything that's displaced in the backyard and bringing it in there. And I picked up a couch and there was an old leather album, photo album and this, you know, 1930s, 20s, you know, lace, everything, flapper outfit and got the, the woman who was going in and out of kind of like liking us and hating us and, you know, having some mental health concerns of herself. And then just, you know, she hugged me because she thought it was gone, you know. And so that was like 20 minutes of just, you know, allergies going on. You know, so just crying a little bit with her twins and came back and just like, the family's like, you're just self-deploying, you know, you're just making yourself feel good. You know, you're just trying to, you don't care about those people. Trying to, like, I really do care about them, but it, there is, it is 50-50. And I do want to help people, but also I know it makes me feel good but I shouldn't have to wait for a disaster to feel good about myself. And so I reached out to the VA, um, went through that process. It was a long process. And then that stigma came back, you know, male, Marine, all those things that, you know, like I should, I should be a certain way. The should have, you know, I should be this. I should be that. I should be acting a certain way. So when I actually got the help I asked for, I didn't take advantage of it. Had a great, great psychotherapist, um, really trying to work with me. You know, she, okay, I, I can hear you, what you're saying about your family. I can understand what you're saying about traffic. I live in LA. It's, it's hours to get places. Not, you know, we go by hours, not miles. And, but I was just doing the surface stuff. And as Dr. Brizzo will tell you, that's just that avoidance, right? I'm just trying to, yep, this is why I'm angry. This is why I'm angry. Well, so basically after a year of dodging, dodging this tough stuff, she's like, look, you need to do this. And for anybody listening, you know, it sounds horrible, you know, virtual reality. Like, do you want to be immersed in something that was a rough day for you? But she knew my character and she knew that, you know, being a very visual person, you know, um, she's like, this will be beneficial, beneficial for you. So it was that trust of the clinician reaching out to the VA and it was set, you know, raising my hand and say, Hey, I need help. I think that's the biggest first step. And, you know, that realizing you have a problem, taking action, say, Hey, I need help. And then following through that request for help and then doing your part of actually going in, putting in the work. It is tough, but on the back end, I was able to, you know, like I was saying before the break, I was able to take that anchor chain off the bottom of the seafloor and move forward and actually be progressive and start moving forward in my life. So it's been hugely successful. And that was just through the virtuality experience. Uh, thank you for sharing with that. I know sometimes going through that can be painful and difficult. So um, truly appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. Yeah. You know, you, you talked about there um, going back in that moment. And this is a question maybe for both of you. When I talk about the Brave Mind technology, when I talk about the immersion therapy concept and, you know, it puts the veteran back in that particular point in time or place in time where it's a trigger point for them, whether it be at a forward operating base, whether it be in a Humvee, any scenario that you've got there, uh, Dr. Rizzo, you know, the first response I typically get is how can you put somebody back in the place where you know is their trigger point? You know, how or why could you do that? So I know maybe Skip, you want to talk about the theory behind that? Well, yeah, that is a common um, expression that, that people, when they first hear about this, uh, will, will say. Um, and again, I, you know, I, the simple answer is, uh, well, because the science shows that this approach, if done thoughtfully in the hands of a, a well-trained uh, care provider, um, actually leads to a beneficial outcome. Uh, again, it's hard medicine for a hard problem, um, but there, you know, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not going to advocate that there's only one way to help a person. I mean, the, the ultimate goal here is to help a person not avoid uh, processing their experience, but to encourage them to. So there are other trauma-focused approaches that 
either, you know, working it out of themselves or it could be a stepping stone towards this, like cognitive processing therapy, where, you know, really the, the exposure element is where the client will write a story about what they went through. And, uh, you know, and that narrative account then becomes grist for the mill for the therapist to go back and forth with the, the client. And of course, you know, you've got this uh, EMDR approach where you move your eyes back and forth to mimic sort of a REM sleep experience as you imagine uh, the scenario. And that uh, is believed to help reconsolidate uh, the memory, but again, in a safe place. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I get that, uh, you know, when people have cancer, nobody wants to do chemo. Nobody wants to do radiation. But you end up doing it because you want to live. And, you know, with, with the thing that kills me with mental health conditions and stigma is that, you know, if you have a toothache, you know, you want that pain to end. You know, you don't like to go to the dentist. Nobody likes going to the dentist. But you go to get it fixed. Well, I've seen people go months, years decades with this emotional pain, this suffering, and they never seek out help to get it. Now, why is that? Is it the stigma element, which is one aspect uh, of why people, why they, we have these barriers to care? Are they unaware that there are treatments? Uh, do they anticipate little benefit? You know, nothing's going to help me. Uh, you know, is it available in a region? Is it easily accessible? Is it affordable? Uh, these are all the issues that, separate from the actual treatment ingredient, uh, that get in the way. And so, you know, part of the reason that, that you know, I like to, to do these things, and I love doing it with Chris, because Chris is an example of someone, you know, who, you know, was having a difficult time and, you know, could have easily, you know, lived his life with that pain for another 60 years. Um, and then, you know, uh, aside from his benefit by getting treatment, we all benefit because now he's doing things that are helping other people. And, you know, that, you know, and so maybe you have to cast getting treatment for service members and veterans in that mode, as Chris described, um, where, you know, you can continue to serve other people and make a positive contribution uh, and maybe that motivates it. But like Chris said, you know, you don't want to have to wait for a disaster to come along to have those feelings, you know. And so Chris's examples of the, the work he's doing with his charitable uh, efforts and his veteran-focused work and the fact that he's getting a doctorate in psychology to carry on the charge here, that, that to me is the ultimate success story. It's, you know, where not only is it good, I, I hope, for Chris, uh, but it's good for society and for the people he touches and let's face it, you know, there are certain veterans that would think getting therapy from me or anybody who's never been to war, you know, what do you know? You don't know crap. You know, there is a place for people who've been there and done that to be clinicians, to build that kind of trust and alliance for those types of patients. And that's an incalculable value. Um, so anyway, I, I think, you know, we've got a lot on our hands here. Uh, with the military, I think there's a lot of issues around how you could prevent PTSD, like with pre-deployment resilience training that needs to have a little bit more effort put into it. Uh, you know, let's put ourselves out of a job on the back end treating post-traumatic stress 
by doing a better job on the front end, teaching a 19-year-old how to cope with what they're going to face. Uh, you know, a kid that, that joined, you know, where the biggest trauma they experienced up to that point in their life was Mary Sue breaking up with them before the junior prom, uh, you know, and now they're, they're going to war. Uh, you know, you've got to pay attention, not just to the physical fitness element of being uh, a good service member, but also the psychological component. And that's really where we want to move towards um, in the future. And hopefully by using this technology that I think uh, might appeal more to a digital generation of service members, that we can socialize the idea of using this technology to train, uh, using this, uh, this technology to treat, and, uh, you know, amplify the optimism that again, post-traumatic stress is not a life sentence. It's gonna benefit the client and society and the people around that person um, if they take that first hard step to seek the help that they can benefit from. Yeah, you talk about optimism and amplifying that and that's something that obviously we all need uh, more than ever right now. And so, you know, getting the word about the work that you're doing, you know, I know we've talked about looking at first responders and, you know, the challenges and issues they're facing and will face, continue to face after we're through COVID-19. Now, you and I talked a few weeks ago where the top emergency room doctor in New York City committed suicide. Uh, you know, I just can't begin to, to imagine the tolls, the stress, the strains on the first responders, on the frontline military. Um, and so, you know, thank you all for all that you've done in that sense. And, you know, for Skip, thanks for the work that you're doing here. And I know you're developing a lot of other great technologies, which we'll, we'll get to shortly. Um, but you referenced Chris's work in uh, the volunteer space and charitable work. You know, and Chris, you talked about your work with Team Red, White, and Blue, uh, your involvement with Hurricane Sandy. You're involved in a lot of different volunteering, which I love. Uh, it's a big thing for me and for my family. Can you tell us about your volunteer efforts and, you know, the positive role that's played in your life? Yeah, so volunteering has been a uh, key to finding that that sense of meaning. You know, I, it's kind of that not hidden secret that by helping other people, you help yourself, either through the church or through life or just giving back to others. Um, I don't make a lot of money, but what I do, and I, I I get a little bit of both. So we talked about, you know, doing a charity event for golf the other day. It was Tito for the Troops, great organization. I got to donate some money. I had to play with a bunch of other veterans um, that had a lot of physical injuries, you know, that you could physically see, but we had a lot of the same concerns, mental health wise, that we were just in a joking manner able to talk about, which was very refreshing. But I think volunteering, whatever your role is, you know, I started out at the local wetlands. I was coming back and forth from deployments, high stress, high everything, coming back and just needed to stay in shape. You know, luckily Afghanistan's at Kabul, Kabul's at 5,000 feet. So just running down here in Orange County at sea level and running by the beach, but I wanted to do something. I'll pick up trash. Oh, you could be a docent. Next thing I'm working with little kids. You want me working with kids, but it was so enlightening to be with these little minds or they know way more about science than anything I do. I was, I was relating to SpongeBob because I'm a big kid and explaining filter feeders. But their little minds were so open. It was such a change. It was a 180 from the world that came in of dust and death and decisions and instant and levity, 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 like bump. What was that? Okay, levity, 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 like that's a taxi. Ugh. And you're all in this fear like, shit, we might die. But let's, you know, let's just keep going and joke and, you know, gallows humor. So volunteering, I found coming that little 30-day respite of just like being with kids and just in nature. There's so much innocence there. I was like, 
this is awesome. I love being in nature and volunteering. It kind of led me into my first track of trying to be, a, you know, I'll go to the park ranger. I was an environmental science major and really learned like being outdoors. Okay. This will give me positive um, rewards, getting back to my environment, getting back to the people. But along the way, volunteering has introduced me to a lot of things. And for a lot of veterans that might feel that resume from, you know, carrying a gun, carrying a gun, being a leader, of people who carry guns, that's your resume. Most, unless you're a police officer, that's even hard. Even for some police agencies, like, well, you know, kind of concerned about that. Volunteering, it gives you a good, nice breadth of experience, but the community gives you a supervisor who's not in the military. And it kind of gives that you explore, you know, you can always volunteer or any organization, Red Cross, hospitals, whatever, and see, is this the environment I want to be with? Are these the coworkers I want? This is the mission I want to do. So volunteering gives you a great opportunity to kind of do the 31 flavors and kind of test out which, what kind of occupation do I like doing? Do I really like doing this? And the great thing about volunteering is people realize that you're volunteering. Like, you know, they give you a hard time. You're like, sir, I'm, I'm just a volunteer. <laughs> like I'm here on my own time on Sunday. I'm sorry. Johnny took a, you know, went to the bathroom and mowed the trail. It's not my fault. You know, I'm just, I'm a volunteer. And people will kind of, Oh, I'm sorry. Cause they realize that you're giving of your time. I think giving of yourself, there's something innate in that nature of, it makes us feel good, you know, and they always say, you know, there's no such thing as a, you know, selfish, selfless act, but giving back really helps in the community. I think people see that. I've been, you know, I'm not a bigger war fan, but people are like, oh, here you go, you know, you're volunteering, you know, thank you for all you do. It's like, no, I just want to be that person that was there for me when I came back, when I needed somebody. They weren't, nobody was paid that helped me out. They're all volunteers who were other veterans, other people like yourself, Chris, who were patriots who were like, I see the need. I want to help out. What can I do? And I think what you do with like, with, you know, brave mind and strong and soldier strong, everything that you do is your way of giving back to the veteran community. And I think that's huge for us to see like, Hey, there's other, there's a lighthouse out there in the dark. When we come back, when we transition out, there is support out here that goes beyond it. Thank you for a service. There is employment opportunities. There's mentorship and, you know, there's so many ways to volunteer for listeners who aren't veterans or who want to support veterans being a mentor is one of the biggest things you could do. You're in a great industry. A lot of people would love to do what you do or ex experiment with that. And just having somebody who's there, depending on your availability, just being that phone call, just being that touch base, like, Hey, what school should I do? What kind of major should I do? What do you recommend for business school? There's many ways to give back and the impact is huge. I've been watching now a lot of, um, I guess I could say Netflix on your show. Um, and I've been watching like all these inspirational different shows on volunteer. There's a guy, you know, undefeated guy went to the inner city in North Memphis. He was coaching high school football in this really underrated school. And that was his passion. You know, he had his, that was part of his religion. He wanted to give back because he didn't have a father. And by him, that one person volunteering, he impacted a team of 40 to 50 inner city kids. And it was just amazing the impact that one, you don't know that impact you're going to have in that, life trajectory, you know, that butterfly effect of what your effects are going to do. It could turn somebody from living, going down the wrong path to include yourself because someone's holding you accountable. And I think that's another piece I'm kind of segueing off to is accountability. If you could start holding yourself accountable, like the military did and like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to self isolate and sit on my couch and you know, besides COVID normal times. But if I know I have to go out and volunteer to go take those little kids on a tour, there's 80 kids coming on school buses to my little wetlands. I have accountability. I want to be there. And then you are appreciated. Oh, thanks for volunteering. And then you get to go out and then you get to interact with those children. You get to be in a different world and it's fulfilling, you know, and it's not about the paycheck. We take the paycheck out or the title, you know, I'm head of this, I'm vice president of this. No, I think it's 
what we do. And like Skip says, he loves going to work. I mean, that's, you know, that old saying, you know, if he gets love what you do, it's not a day of work. It's kind of hard in the realist work with mortgages and everything else. But I mean, just, I think volunteering is that kind of segue of we have our actual paying job. And then like you're doing, Chris, you're giving back on what little, I don't think you have any free time. <laughs> you're going 20, 25 hours a day somehow. Um, but I think that the time that you give speaks bonds of your heart. And I think that's, that's what people gravitate towards. They see that it's not a monetary concern. It's a heart issue. And I think heart issues go both ways. They see people who are givers and then there are people who receive that. And then, you know, there is that, you know, 20% who take up 80% of the resources by, you know, so what if that guy or girl is there every time, make sure they have the best time possible and then make them a volunteer to kind of, you know, multiply those, multiply those efforts. So I think volunteering is a great way to give back. It's a, it's an amazing way to fill your heart and do things that you never thought you could do. You don't need a degree to volunteer. You don't need a, anything you just some time and that's the most valuable thing we have right now you know we're not texting we're not doing anything else we're focused on someone's attention and we're listening and that's the biggest thing just listening to somebody and that could be that could honestly save a life you know if you just listen to somebody and they're like oh thanks for listening how many times have you actually sat to somebody at a bar or restaurant and you didn't say anything because you're just so fascinated with what they're saying and they actually stopped at the end of it like hey thanks for listening because it's such a lost art in our society that it's an amazing thing you do. And it doesn't have to be an actual volunteering thing. It just be listening to somebody who stops and says more than, Hey, you doing now? It's I'm fine. But fine doesn't mean fine means things aren't going too well. So yeah, just give back and then you'll, you'll be rewarded. Thank you for sharing that. And you know, you hit on a couple of keywords here, accountability, uh, feeling fulfilled. Skip mentioned earlier in the show about how you are getting your PhD in clinical psychology. Uh, you know, so that is just a fascinating, to me, that's the great American success story. Uh, true Patriot looking to give back post, post-service. So you are still yeah. serving. Uh, you are still volunteering. Uh, well, hopefully you get paid. Uh, and, you know, you talked earlier about your, your PhD thesis with Skip and I before the show. And so, you know, the work that Dr. Rizzo has done helped you. You learned yes. from that. It helped you grow as a person, as a human, as an American. Yes. And now you're going to go help others. Yes. Hopefully, going you know going down that same path that you were going down, and, yes. and that's just an incredible success story that needs to be shared across the board. Um, you know, for both of you, you know, the work that you've done has just been incredible. So, um, thank you both for that. And you know, maybe skip here. Any ideas or thoughts in terms of where you see technology going? Briefly. Um, well, we've only got a few seconds left, so I'll just say this technology. Um, virtual reality, augmented reality, all the different names people apply to it, um, has significant benefits when applied thoughtfully to medicine, education, mental health, rehabilitation. And I'm looking forward uh, every day to the new, the new future ahead where we can make a difference and solve problems uh, with technology rather than create more problems with technology. No. Well, with you two being the tip of the spear, we'll absolutely get there. Uh, Dr. Skip Rizzo, Chris Merkel, thank you for being here. Always a pleasure having you both on. I'm Chris Meek. Keep taking those next steps forward. We'll see you all next week. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, 
Make things happen in your life. 